The Lord be with you. Thank you. And welcome to worship this morning at Newland Presbyterian Church on this Palm Sunday. Uh, it is our mission here to lead all people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is um, exciting to be with you on this Sunday just before Easter. And so uh, as we enter into worship, I will invite you to, to stand with me for the call to worship, which we'll participate in together. And then you have an insert in your bulletin of that first hymn, Hosanna, Loud Hosanna. And we'll sing that as the kids come into worship, waving palm branches, and we will celebrate the Lord's entrance into Jerusalem. Uh, so join me now, please, if you would, in the call to worship. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Lo, your king comes to you. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Amen. Now let's just remain standing and turn to that insert, and we'll sing together. seated. This morning we uh, sing with joy the entrance of the king, and the king brings the kingdom, and Jesus says that the way into the kingdom is to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. And so as we gather this day, we come together and offer up prayers of confession of our own sinfulness, of our need for forgiveness, and we come to Jesus, the humble one, uh, who promises to forgive us. So let's pray together. God of mercy, you sent Jesus Christ to seek and save the lost. 
we confess that we have strayed from you and turned aside from your way. We are misled by pride, for we see ourselves pure when we are stained and great when we are small. We have failed in love, neglected justice, and ignored your truth. Have mercy, O God, and forgive our sin. Return us to paths of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Friends, we are priests to one another. And so as we join together in the assurance of pardon, I want you to both hear others speaking these words to you, but also I invite you to speak them to those around you. So hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Beloved, know that you are forgiven and be at peace. And let this peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To this peace we have been called as members of a single body. So may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with each of you. And also with you. Thank you. several announcements. Um, tonight, the Malin Fellowship gathering will meet in Spruce Pine. There will be a business meeting at 6.30 and worship at 7 o'clock at Spruce Pine. Again, this will be for the counties of Presbyterians who reside in Mitchell, Avery, and Nancy counties uh, are all invited to attend. If you would like to go, you could meet here at the church at 5.45 and Junior Sluter will be uh, driving over, or you can follow each other over to the meeting. Also, um, this Wednesday, we're happy to announce we're going to have our family uh, night supper beginning again on Wednesday at 5.30. And we would like for you to sign up if you plan to come. You don't have to fix anything. The meal will be provided. I think it's going to be spaghetti. Salad's going to be very delicious, I'm sure, and great time of fellowship. So there's a sign-up sheet in the Narthex uh, if you plan to come. Um, the women of the church will be meeting not this Monday, but a week, uh, week from this Monday on uh, April the 5th at 1 o'clock here at the church. All women are invited. It's an excellent study on God's promise, God with us, Emmanuel. Um, also, the Luke Bible study will be this Wednesday at 4 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. And for our Easter service, there will be an outdoor service at 10 and an indoor service at 11. I think that's all I have. You may have things to add to that, Mike. I, did, I had two things. Um, uh, one, one, you know, it's not, it's not good to, 
like brag outside, but I think we, I can brag on you guys a little bit since we're inside today. But um, if you check the paper this week, there was, uh, I think, a photo of, I think Jamie Winters made the, made the paper and a picture of some Newland Presbyterian folks picking up trash from the clean sweep. And Junior Sluter had a quote in the, in the paper and uh, noted that, that he'd been a, a member of Newland Presbyterian for 60 years and he did, a, he did a fabulous job organizing us, and I've heard nothing but good things and grateful for that chance. Apparently, it was such a success that we're probably going to end up doing that, you know, once or twice a year from here on out. So um, I thought it went really well and grateful for the 30, 35 or more between us and Fletcher Presbyterian who took part. So that was great. And also had uh, one note. So there will be an Easter egg hunt and kind of children's program on Saturday, this Saturday at 10 o'clock here at the church. And uh, Amber Williams is working to put a lot of that together. Um, she will need, I imagine, uh, big kids and teenagers and young adults to help hide Easter eggs, and then she's going to need all the little ones to come find them. And so uh, hopefully um, We'll have a great turnout for that. But that's this Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning here at the church. So um, to come and bring a friend or, or more than one, it'll be a fun time. And yes, uh, Marie noted 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock outside and inside for Easter Sunday coming up. Okay, well, as Chuck comes forward to read our scripture this morning, uh, let's pray the prayer of illumination, which you can find in your bulletin. Um, Eternal God, whose word silences the shouts of the mighty, quiet within us every voice but your own. Speak to us through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may receive the grace to show Christ's love in lives given to your service. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your kings come to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thanks to the word of the Lord. So this is Palm Sunday, um, the Sunday when we process into the church waving palm branches and place them upon the Lord's table. Um, it's the Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem one, one week, I guess the week of Holy Week. Uh, Friday would be his crucifixion, uh, Saturday his day of rest, the Sabbath in the grave, and then of course Sunday marked his resurrection. And it is also the time where careful readers of the scriptures and scholars who work through this kind of stuff say an important shift takes place in the gospel. Um, to this point, there's been an emphasis on Jesus' words, on what he has to say, on his teaching, what he's, what he's instructing the disciples and the crowds. But now a focus begins to occur, not so much on his words, though he will continue to speak, but more on his actions, on his deeds. Why is that? Well, Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. And he calls us to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. And so the whole first parts of the gospel account of his life tell us about what he had to say how he was instructing people about what the kingdom was like and how they could live into it and enter it and participate in it. But now, as he enters Jerusalem, it's like he enters into the final week and he's beginning to act out and not show us so much with his words, but with his living what it looks like for the kingdom to come. For the king, the Messiah, to be inaugurated. To, for him to come and to hold uh, his position, and to be seated upon the throne. So what I want us to do this morning is pay attention to the symbolic nature of the actions that take place in the story. So everybody in what they do are, are, are conveying information to us, not only by what they say, but, but primarily here by what they do. So we're going to look at three categories. First, the disciples, and then the crowds, and then Jesus. How did the disciples convey certain things to us by way of their actions? What do the crowds do that open up for us a deeper understanding of what's occurring? And then what is Jesus revealing to us about his kingship, about um, how he will begin to take his office, and how we can share in that kingdom? Disciples, crowds, Christ. So let's begin with the disciples. Uh, the passage that Chuck read for us says that Jesus sent two disciples to go uh, into the village in front of them, and immediately they would find there a colt tied with her, with her foal tied beside her. And if anybody says anything to you, says Jesus, just tell them that the Lord has need of it, and they will let you go. And of course, this happens. And listen, listen carefully to how this is relayed to us. It just says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. That's about as simply as you could state that, isn't it? It is right to the point. He told them to do it. They went 
and they did it. Now keep in mind, as we think about the disciples, um, how confused they always seem to be. Right? It's never like they hear it and they do it. It's always like, now what did you mean, Jesus? Like, how does this work? Um, How do you cast out this demon? We can't quite get a hold of it. Jesus, the first day of his ministry, heals Peter's mother-in-law. The whole city comes to see what he's going to do next. He gets up in the morning and he goes off to the next place, leaving everyone behind. The disciples are like, why are you not sticking with this massive crowd that's gathered? They're constantly just unsure, confused, not clear, questioning, trying to understand. But now Jesus tells them what? to go get the, the colt and the, don- the donkey and the, and the foal of the donkey, and they went and they did as he directed them. You see the difference? Their actions are conveying something here. As Jesus enters into the final week, as his kingship is about to be revealed, they respond in obedience. And really, we're coming to the end of Lent, this period of preparation and repentance and, and so on trying to understand how we can more fully enter the kingdom. The goal is that at the end of Lent, as we enter into Easter, that we too would have become a little more like the disciples who are able to hear what Jesus is saying and responding and doing it. Which seems really simple, doesn't it? But we all know it's not quite that easy. But hopefully, over time and through Lent and as we move forward in our lives, we're better able to hear what God is saying to us, and also know what we are going to do about it. That's that's the core of our discipleship program, those two questions. What's God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? Uh, Chip and Joy and Bobby and Terry are uh, on on a Zoom meeting right now with me. And so that's that's the main question. What's God saying? What are we going to do about it? The disciples are living that out. The second thing we see the disciples doing They went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. So, whenever you hear, we're talking symbolism, right? The symbolic nature of these. When you hear about clothes in the Bible, they're always important. The disciples have taken off their outer cloak and placed it on the donkey so that Jesus can, what, sit on them. It's like he's being enthroned upon them, right? If you think about clothes, what are they? They're these outer garments that we wear that protect us a little bit from the world, that shield us a little bit from things out there. Um, Remember, in the garden, Adam and Eve had no clothes, They were naked and they were not ashamed. It was after they had sinned and after they had to leave the garden and were um, sent by God out into a world full of thorns and thistles that God came and clothed them so that, that they could make their way in the world a little easier, a little better, a little more efficiently. And clothing is actually a symbol of everything in our lives that we use to get by a little faster, to move forward a little easier, to protect ourselves from forces all around us outside that, well, are sometimes out to get us explicitly and sometimes just tend to wound us like 
thorns might in the side. And so you, if you drove here in a car this morning, that was like an article of clothing. It was something that, that covered you, that surrounded you, that allowed you to move in the world faster, more efficiently, and to make your way um, more directly, didn't it? Uh, you have a phone probably in your pocket. If you don't have one, most of, most of you are probably wishing you did, right? So I'm winking at some of the younger folks. So if you've got a phone in your pocket, what is that? It's another article of clothing. It's something that you use that allows you to get by in the world that can protect you. Um, anybody get caught in a hailstorm yesterday? Yeah, it was, go it was going crazy at my house. I got I get a little confused this morning. I got hit in the head a few times. Um, we can get information, alerts on our phone that something's about to happen. A storm's coming. You can look at your phone and get all manner of information that allows you to understand where to go and how to order something, or make a phone call to someone that you love. It's a tool. Tools are articles of clothing that we use to get by in the world. And they're good, but they can also become crutches, can't they? Or distractions. Um, the disciples take their cloaks and they place them upon the donkey so that Jesus can sit on them enthroned. You see where I'm going with this? so too are we invited to take all those aspects of our lives that we use either as masks or as, that we use to protect ourselves from the people around us or for the circumstances of life. We're invited to take our, our phones and all manner of technological resources. We're invited to set those down, recognize that they are not the ultimate source of authority in our lives, and allow Jesus to sit on them. That's a place of authority, isn't it? such that he is the highest and the things that come uh, after him, below him, find their rightful place. So the disciples hear and obey right away. The disciples lay down their lives, just like the folks who processed this morning brought these palm branches and laid them down before Jesus. So too, did you participate that, laying down your life before Christ and offering that to him? But what about the crowds? Uh, you know, the crowds acclaim Jesus as the son of David. There's a phrase that is, fraught, that is full of symbolic meaning. Hosanna to the son of David, they say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The son of David makes us think, if we're thinking biblically, of course, about David. And because we think about David, it reminds us of the kings of Israel. If you go back far enough in the Old Testament, Israel didn't have a king. All the other nations had kings. Israel did not, at least on earth. Israel's king was the Lord, was God. Instead, Israel had prophets like Moses. They had judges like Deborah and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. They had judges who served beneath God and made judgments and rulings and communicated to God's people. But God was the king. Well, after God leads them out of slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness and they end up in the promised land, the people decide that they want a king like all these other nations have. 
Send us a king, Samuel, the prophet. Anoint a king for us. And Samuel talks to the Lord about this. And God says, well, Samuel, they're rejecting your position of authority among them, but that means they're also, in a sense, rejecting my kingship over them. Give them what they want. And so he anoints Saul as king. That doesn't end so well. David is the next king who comes, and God makes a promise to David that his throne will endure forever. That one in the line of David, a son of David, Hosanna to the son of David, a son of David would sit upon the throne of Israel forever. And so David unifies the country as no other king had to that point and expands the territory. Solomon would come and build the temple and expand it maybe a little bit more. But then, you know what happened? The kingdom was divided, the north and the south. And then the north was conquered. And then the south was conquered. And the Israelites were taken out into other countries and had to serve other kings. But then they were sent back. Exile and return. It happened again. Exile and return. And so the prophets began to speak of a day when... God would make good on that promise that a king would come in the line and in the lineage of David who would again restore Israel to their rightful place. Not only uh, among the nations of the world, but also in the full view of God's kingdom. The world would be healed. The the kingship of God would extend not just uh, upon Israel, but upon everyone. So they begin to wait for this and to long for this. So you, you know what they meant now when the crowds looked and saw Jesus coming and said, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were saying, that's the one that we have been waiting for. That's the one who's going to bring about God's kingdom. That's the one who's going to bring about God's rule. This is the one that we have waited for for so long. It is, it is Jesus. Hosanna! They cried. You know what Hosanna means? Save us, Lord. Save us, King sent from God. And they cried out for salvation. You know what happened as they cried out, as they made a big deal, as they're waving palm branches and putting their clothes down on the road? It says that the whole city began to pay attention and wondered, who is this one that God has sent? Of course, in the same way in in our own lives, we're called to acknowledge Jesus as King, as the one who comes to us, sent by God to bring about God's rule in our lives and in the world. We acknowledge that Jesus has been um, seated on a throne kind of three times in his life. The first time Jesus sat on a throne or was placed on a throne was in the manger. Such a humble position, a feeding trough, right? Maybe not how we would have expected God to show up and to be enthroned. The next time was upon a donkey. Again, not exactly what we would have imagined. The last time is upon a cross where he is lifted up and raised high and above his head is written Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Three times in this life, Jesus is placed upon a throne. In a manger, upon a donkey, and on a cross. In the manger, he represents humility. He comes to the least of us. He meets us in a stable He gathers creation around him. On a donkey, he demonstrates that his rule is one of peace. Dorothy Sayers has written a book, and it's kind of a series of plays, and in it, there's a a play that she's written about 
Christ's entrance into Jerusalem upon the donkey. And in it, she imagines one of the zealots, one of those who wanted to bring God's kingdom by way of violence and military force to defeat the Romans who had come in and so on. Um, And in this place, she imagines one of the zealots outside of town sending word to the disciples before Jesus enters Jerusalem, the night before. And he says, awaiting you is a stable. And in the stable there are two animals. One of them is a mighty war horse. The other is a donkey. Send one of your disciples. If you tell them to bring back the war horse to you, we will show up with a thousand spears and you will enter Jerusalem with a thousand soldiers at your rear. But if you summon the donkey, we will hear of this as well. And we'll just wait for another Messiah who's a little more courageous than you. And of course, I mean, beautiful, brilliant way of introducing the fact that Jesus comes not to enact violence upon others, not to win a bloody war and so establish his authority, but he comes as a donkey, as a king would ride in peacetime to bring peace. In the manger, he shows us humility. Upon the donkey, he shows us peace. Upon the cross, he shows us sacrificial love. These are the ways that we enter in and participate in the kingdom of our Christ. The whole city wanted to know who Jesus was. Might we live our lives in humility, in peace, and in sacrificial love, laying our lives down like palm branches, like cloaks, so that others might say, who is this one who is the king? And so finally, let's look at the king. We've looked at the disciples who hear and obey, who lay down their lives, who looked at the crowds, who acclaim him king and cry out, save us, Lord, and who draw the attention of the whole city. But now let's look at Christ who enters on a donkey in humility and peace. Let's look at Jesus who, though he comes in peace, does not come without judgment. The next thing he apparently does is go to the temple and drives out the money changers. They turn the temple of God into a marketplace. You remember as we come near to the table, to the center of things, you remember there's a particular order. You remember how we looked at the farms, then we looked at the markets, and then the government, and then the church, and the table in the center? You're... Just an aside, what do we say when we come to the center of all things? Hosanna in the highest. We sing it every time we come to the communion. Just because when Jesus came, he was coming to the center. As he entered Jerusalem, so too do we come to the center. But Jesus drives out the money changers. He purifies the temple. So he comes in peace, but also in purity. He washes the disciples' feet in the upper room. The dust-covered, dung-covered feet of His disciples, the Lord of heaven and earth, washes. So He wants to purify your heart and drive out that which is in you that is not in keeping with God's kingdom. He wants to take the dirtiest, filthiest parts of you, the parts that you're ashamed for others to see or to touch, and He wants to cleanse you. Hearkens to the waters of baptism. He gathers those same disciples around a table, And he breaks bread and says, this is my body broken for you. And he he pours the cup and says, this is the new covenant, the new promise of God. My blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. 
He feeds them. The Lord of heaven and earth, the host of the feast, is the one who then serves and blesses. He goes from there to a garden where he prays. These symbolic actions. He prays. He keeps vigil. He sweats blood. He says, not my will but yours be done, O Lord. Um, The disciples fall asleep. And Jesus says, which one of you cannot pray for one hour with me? And we worship about an hour or a little more sometimes. Sometimes, not usually. But when we go longer than an hour, mm, can you not worship with me an hour and five minutes? Says Jesus. Have you struggled with your sin? Have you labored in prayer to the point you sweated blood? Have you surrendered your will to God to the point where you feel that kind of Wait. And then Jesus, who speaks to the Father all night, goes and stands before Pilate and doesn't say anything. Like a sheep standing silent before the slaughter. The king of this world and the king of all stand in such irony facing one another. And isn't our response to leaders of the world And we can think not in terms of kings, but maybe presidents. I don't know which ones you like and which you don't. But we don't like to be silent before them, do we? We like to yell and scream and post on Facebook. Might we become more like Christ? Christ who goes to the cross. Christ who endures the scourging. Because by His wounds we are healed. By His stripes... We receive redemption. He enters into that for us, for you. That's what this week is about. That's what we're remembering. The king who enters in undergoes all of this. And then he goes, yes, to the cross. Where he is suspended in the air between heaven and earth. He, the one who unites us to God. He, the one who reaches out with his arms and unites people together. That's the one we worship this week and remember this week. He who descended into the grave so there's nowhere that you will ever go where Christ has not gone before you. And of course we look forward to Sunday when he emerges victorious over sin and death in the grave. This week, I'd encourage you to to take up Matthew or Mark, Luke or John, and and just read the section of the last week of Christ's life. You can see what happens each day and remember those things. And see the places, the actions and the symbolic quality inherent to them and see if by your own actions throughout the week, you might enter in a little further to the kingdom which Christ brings. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I want to invite you to uh, stand now with me and let us affirm what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed, which are printed in your bulletin. And notice, um, as we confess Christ within this confession, uh, the tracing out of the events of this week. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated, please. And um, uh, I've got, I guess, one additional announcement. Um, I think we've got five folks who are interested in, in going through the new members class, and so we'll be starting a new one of those uh, very soon. Um, Jay, Glenn, went through this class uh, over a year ago, and then COVID happened, and so we have been delayed, and, and he and I said, let's not wait any longer to announce uh, your, your membership with us, and so Jay is here this morning. He met with the session at the last meeting, and uh, he's affir- reaffirmed his baptismal vows that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior, that he turns from sin, and that he will seek to be a faithful member of this church with God's help. And so um, I'm excited to welcome him today. And I'm excited to ask you guys, will you promise to pray for him and love him and encourage him as he uh, engages in his life here as a member of this church? So will you? All right. Wonderful. Um, We're going to pray for Jay and uh, and then we'll stand and we'll sing the doxology together. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you call us to participate in your life and kingdom and that you grant us membership in your body. And we know that we need one another, Lord. Uh, We are hands and eyes and hands and feet, and we need each other. And so we're thankful that you have called Jay uh, to this point in his life to, to become a member of the Newland Presbyterian Church. We pray that you would anoint him with your spirit, that you would continue to bless him and lead him and guide him and direct him. We pray that we might all learn from him and he from us, that we together might be built up into uh, your family. And so we ask all of this in the name of our King and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So let's say, welcome, Jay. All right, let's stand and sing glory to God together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. several quick prayer requests. Um, We want to remember Bruce Blaylock, pray for healing, and pray for healing for Glenn Johnson, who suffers from migraine headaches, and will be going to uh, a clinic tomorrow in Winston. We just pray that we'll be able to help him for his, uh, all of his headaches to subside, and he would be healed from them. We uh, want to remember Crystal, who's suffering from an eye infection. Pray for healing. And for Crystal's dad, Bill Eisenhower, who has pneumonia. 
We want to remember Dan Fletcher, who is dealing with the loss, uh, grieving the loss of his wife. We want to remember Janet Millsap, who is uh, grieving the loss of a daughter, and Tom and Terry Scully, the loss of their son. And um, we have a, we're so blessed to have Jay Glenn join us and pray for others who might be thinking about joining our church. Do we have any other prayer request? Doris Matthews' daughter. Oh, thank you, Doris's daughter. Doris Matthews' daughter. Judy Turnage, I think is her name. Judy, who had a... Um, spinal injury and we just pray for healing there as well uh, Debbie okay I'm sorry I didn't get all that Ronald Bird pacemaker for medical pacemaker okay any other Ann King Ann King who's lost her husband I want to remember her too any others Oh, yes, I'm sorry. What's his name again? So. Andrew. Andrew. His brother passed away this week. Andrew, who has played the bagpipes here before. His, his brother passed away. Okay, the loss of brother. Okay, any others? Okay. Deborah Woodruff. Deborah Lecca. Okay, for healing or mm -hmm. healing? Yes. Okay. She's been diagnosed with cancer. Okay, Deborah Lecker. Okay. Let's pray for Bob Lowry. Oh, uh, thank you. Pastor Emeritus. Bob Lowry. He's got some health health concerns. Yes, yes, thank you. can't remember. Okay, in um, peace, let us pray to the Lord, saying, Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above, for the loving kindness of God, and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the world, for the unity of the church of God, for the well-being of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this gathering of the faithful and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all the baptized, for all who serve in the church, for bishops and pastors and for Michael, our minister, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, for our president and the leaders of the nations and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for this town of Newland and county of Avery, for every city and community, for those who live in them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for seasonable weather, for abundant harvest, for all to share, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for the good earth which God has given us for the wisdom and will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For all those who travel by land, water, or air, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphaned, for the sick and the suffering, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For the poor and the oppressed, for those unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for deliverance in times of affliction, strife, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord and at this time, we want to pray for Bruce Blaylock, Glenn Johnson, Dan Fletcher, 
Janet Millsaps, Tom and Terry Scully, Crystal Eisenhower, Bill Eisenhower, Doris Matthews' daughter, Judy Turnage, Ronald Bird, Ann King, Andrew, Deborah Lecca, Bob Lowry, and we're so thankful for Jay Glenn joining our church today. Um, let us pray to the Lord. Lord. Now let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, kind of nice to have choir again, isn't it? Yeah, thank you all very much. I missed hearing you and worshiping with you in that way. Um, 
One final note on symbols, right? So sometimes we think of sim- a symbol is like something else that means something else, but that's not right. That's a metaphor. Um, a symbol is something that embodies the truth inherent. It's not necessarily pointing to something else. It's containing it. And so as we think about the events of, of the last week of Christ's life and was, we attend to those symbols and try to understand the meaning inherent to them, contained within them, I want you to remember that the clearest symbol that God has made of himself and of the kingdom and the world is you. Because you were one who is made in the image of Christ and are being refashioned according to his likeness. You are one who is called to embody, to contain, to bear in yourself the truth and reality of Christ's gospel. And so as you go to bear that truth this week and contain it perhaps more fully and to receive it um, more than you ever have before, I pray that the hands of Christ would tend your wounds and that the Holy Spirit would bring to mind just the things that you need to hear. You would rest assured that the Father will raise you up into his everlasting arms at the last. Amen.